God something? You guys with me? <laughs> All right, good. Thanks, Dan. Dan, on this Valentine's Day, is wearing the tie that he wore at his wedding. I just wanted to announce that. How odd. What, what a romantic young man Dan Hammond is. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Um, is it Valentine's It is Valentine's Day. All right. <clears throat> My wife worked the night shift last night, so she's sleeping, so I still have some time. <laughs> um, we're going to continue our series this morning on the parables, and we have an opportunity to get into the Word this morning in Mark chapter 4. Um, so let's go there right now and read that together. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be with you this morning and get into the Word. I, uh, I love this. I love our church. I love this family. And uh, it's just uh, such a good thing for us to be together, to worship like we just did as a, as a corporate body, and to read the Word together, and to hear from God and what He says in His Word to us. I just, I, I don't think I can overstate what a great opportunity that is for us, and I hope, I hope that you feel the same. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And he said, Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. It's the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would do what you do in your word as you speak to our hearts, as you bring about your kingdom in us in our lives, in our communities, in our families, we look to you this morning to illuminate to us what your word is saying to us, how it is we're to um, think about you, how it is we are to know you, how it is we are to go forward in what you've called us to do. You reveal this to us in your word and you speak to us, God, and we ask this morning that you would open our hearts like good soil, that you would water it, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you this morning. We trust you for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So I, we, we had uh, put together some old family videos 
that I think back in the day were on like the, the old camera with the tape, right? And just recently, yeah, the palm quarter, whatever it was. So just recently, my mother took all these old tapes without us knowing it, and she went somewhere like Industrial Color Labs or something, and she had them thrown on a, on a, on a DVD um, because that's the only way we could watch it at this point. And uh, we had this incredible time hanging out at our house, throwing all these old DVDs on. And I realized a couple of things in watching these old family. How many of you guys have ever done this before? It's a good time to go back and watch this stuff. I realized a couple of things. First of all, Sophia, our first child, who is about to turn 15 in May, um, her entire first year of life was on camera. Like, does anybody else understand what I'm saying? Like, she was the firstborn, she was the first Cali girl in like 40 years, and every move she made from the moment she sucked her first breath of oxygen, um, at least three or four people were standing around her at the ready with a video camera. Um, her whole life was, was a movie, and uh, I don't know, that may have some bearing on, on how expressive she is today in life, but she, she was filmed her entire life. And, but, but the other thing that really dawned on me in watching these videos, Aiden, you were there too, buddy, is... Uh, It seems like overnight, my little kids that were babies and like in the larva stage, you guys remember that? Some of you that have kids, just no neck and they just poop and, and, and little babies, it seems like overnight, she, you know, she's a young woman. Aiden's turning into a teenager. Nathan is eight years old and crazy. Um, it, it seems like I went to sleep and woke up. And everything changed. Anybody else feel like that? I also see things in their hearts and in their lives as they express to me their faith and as they express to me what God's doing in their life and as they express to me in conversation um, things that they understand and the way that they express themselves. That as I look at my children in the video as babies and now today in the age that they're at, I recognize something pretty incredible. God did that. Like I see this miracle of life and then I see this miracle of growth that that takes place that I had nothing to do with. Does anybody understand what I'm saying this morning? I see what God does in their lives and in their growth, and it's, it's, it's frankly miraculous. I remember as a young man, my parents had a garden. Anybody else do gardens? And, and I remember um, uh, my dad rototilling. I remember pulling the grass and, and, and making sure everything was clear and digging the little trenches and, and putting these little tiny seeds in the ground and thinking to myself, what in the world is this going to do? How does this happen? This is so amazing. And you put these little seeds in the ground throughout the garden, and then all of a sudden, um, you see sprouts come out of the ground, and then as time goes by, there's tomatoes, there's cucumbers, there's carrots you can pull out of the ground. And, and you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you, and you work, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up, and Something happens that you had no hand in. Something happens that you didn't really do. It was all within that seed and the watering, and somehow God brought forth something that you get to eat. Isn't it amazing? And I remember as a, as a kid thinking, holy cow, how did this little seed turn into these carrots? And we used to just rip the carrots out of the ground. I don't even know if we sprayed them with the hose, and you just start eating them, right? Um, yeah. 
Today we would like hand sanitize everybody and wash them down. And, <clears throat> and as you see this miracle, you begin, as you think about it, to recognize that, that there's something happening that is beyond what you're capable of doing, beyond what you're capable of, of accomplishing. I tried this later on in life to do a garden, and, uh, and it's, it's a lot of work. Like, as an adult, I was like, all right, I want to do that. I want my own vegetables. I want some tomatoes, some cucumbers. And so I rototilled, and we had, a, like, a little patch, and, and we planted some seeds. And I got to be honest with you. The amount of work that it took to accomplish that, at the end of the day, when the tomatoes came and the cucumbers came and the carrots came, it was neat. It was like, yeah, this is awesome. It's fresh. We'll make a salad. And the whole time I'm thinking, I could have just went to Wegmans, man. <laughs> like, this is... <laughs> <clears throat> And as God expresses, as Jesus in this parable expresses, what he's explaining to his disciples is the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we see an incredible principle here. We see something that God is expressing to us in this parable, in this story, as he talks about the seed or the sower that wakes up, and he, and he casts the seed, and he sows it, and he goes to sleep, and he gets up, and he works, and he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, there's the sprout, and then the stalk, and then all of a sudden, there's what it is he had planted has come into existence. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the mustard seed. And what that turns into. And what we see is God is explaining to us what he's attempting to describe to his disciples is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I tell you what it's not. I know when we think of the kingdom of God here as we live, as we're in the midst of a presidential election, right? We think of, you know, democracy. We think of our, our, uh, um, our American kind of sense of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and working. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God, Jesus is king. Amen? Jesus is king, and in the kingdom of God, God is sovereign. This is a kingdom where he is sovereign and where he rules and where he reigns and where he orchestrates what happens in his kingdom. And so as, as Jesus is describing to his disciples what is the kingdom of God, what is it like, what does it look like, we have to recognize in our mindset that the kingdom of God is is in the kingdom of God, God is sovereign. Because I think our tendency is to be, is to be self-saving, isn't it? Come on. Our tendency and our mindset is to be self-saving. The way that we, in our, in our American-soaked mindset, nothing wrong with it in the sense of politics, but in the sense of the kingdom of God, in the sense of where our eternity lies, in the sense of what God is doing in his kingdom, in his body, in his church, and how it is to go forward, many times our mindset reflects our secular political American mindset of, of self-saving, self-working, self-doing. And, and what God is saying to us in his word through this parable is that in the kingdom of God, God is sovereign. Yes, you are active, you're not passive, but at the end of the day, the kingdom of God goes forward because God does does it. Amen? Because God brings the increase. Because God does what only God can do. I got to tell you, this morning as we look in scripture together as a family, this should be incredibly exciting to us.
We're used to a system of freedom and individualism, but when speaking of the kingdom of God, there's really nothing further from the truth. God is sovereign in his kingdom. And how is his kingdom brought about? I got to tell you, I remember being uh, a young man, actually very young, about seven or eight years old. And I was sitting in the Baldwinsville Wesleyan Church. And I heard a man standing at the front of this church that we went to when I was a child preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And something began to echo in my chest. Anybody ever felt that? Something began to resonate in me as a young, young boy that I could not explain. But as this pastor said, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, I want you to stand up and walk to the front. And I remember as clear as day, standing here in front of you this morning, that there was no other option but for me to stand up. I stood up and I began to shuffle myself past my parents, and I don't know what my mom and dad did or my brother, but I walked to the front of that church, the first one. I don't even think he finished getting the words out of his mouth, and I walked down the center of that church, and I knelt down at the altar. I don't even know why I knew to do that, and I received Jesus as my Savior. And as life went on, I know moments of of knuckleheadedness, moments of doing my own thing, moments of, of going my own way. But in my heart and in my mind, something was growing, something um, throughout my life. And, and it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? I hope it is for you too. As you look hindsight, as you look 2020 back at your life, you can be, begin to see the orchestrating of God and his work in your life. Does anybody else relate to that this morning? And there's just been these, these like Joshua putting the stones in the middle of the river kind of moments, these, these like milestone moments where I can see God's hand in my life. As a teenager, listening to Wendell Smith preach about, preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and the impact that had on my life. As a youth pastor pulled me into the office and, and looked at me in the midst of my rebellion and in the midst of my rejection of God and said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. God's calling you to follow him. And at 15 years old, thinking, this is all I can do, as God began to resonate in my heart and grow within me. Remember a man, old man, pulling me to the front of a congregation and sticking his hand on my head and saying, God's called you to preach the word of God when I was 16 years old and feeling God speaking directly to me. And so many other things and circumstances in my life as, as God did stuff in my life that I, don't, that I don't even understand today. As I look back on it now, I see God doing something in me as others through seeds, as others sowed, as others spoke into my life and were used by God and in their faithfulness to communicate to me, what I realize at the end of the day, as grateful as I am for those men and women, as, as, as honored as they should be, as I look back, I see that from the beginning to the end, what's happened in my life is the kingdom of God has been brought about in my own heart is that God did it. 
God has been faithful. Amen? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we see another agricultural reference that I don't think in the scope of Mark chapter 4 we can escape. And I don't know that Paul knew of this parable as he wrote 1 Corinthians 3, but it's very similar. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul says this as he's addressing an issue in the church. Now here's the issue that Paul's addressing. Paul's addressing the reality that um, Apollos is very popular, and Cephas is very popular, and he is very popular as leaders in the church and in the body of Christ. And I don't see this problem at all in our church, so I'm not addressing the same problem that Paul is in this passage. But we see the way Paul uses this metaphor to address this problem in the church. He looks and he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I find this remarkable. I, I mean, you really see this as Paul's addressing folks that have lined up under Apollos and said, well, we got saved because Apollos preached. And people that have lined up under Paul and said, well, we came to know Jesus and have grown because Paul preached. And he, and he says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? You know, I watered or I, I sowed Apollos water, but, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. And then Paul goes on to say, it doesn't even matter. Apollos and Paul are nothing. You know, here's Paul in other letters that says, you know, Epaphroditus should be honored. And, and, and when he says in this passage that they're nothing, he's not saying that there's no honor. He even goes on to say that they'll get their wages for their labor. But, but what he's saying is they're nothing as compared to what God is doing in your life. As they're faithful to sow and faithful to water, God is the one who brings the increase. God is the one who should be glorified and honored. The sovereign God of the universe who's chosen you, who's given you the gift of faith, who speaks into your life as the kingdom of God grows in you and as he uses you to spread his kingdom in North Syracuse, Syracuse and the northern suburbs, at the end of the day, this church is going to be a God-centered church. Because when we see the harvest, when we see the increase, we're not going to look at the things that we did, but we're going to look to God and say, God, you did it. Amen? The kingdom of God is brought about by God. He is doing his work in the hearts and in the lives of people. I got to tell you, that is so securing, that is so comforting. 2006. Me and Jordan and Maggie and my wife sat in my front living room and we, get, we began to pray about how God would plant a church in Syracuse, New York. I was studying for the bar. Jordan was looking to move up here, had been traveling back and forth from Florida. Maggie had just gotten sick and, uh, and we were praying for her and wondering what that was going to mean and we began to just think about what God could do. It was like this fleeting thought 
in our hearts. It was like this, he's, all right, Jordan's going to leave Summit Church, which was this big church that they had planted in southwest Florida where there was security, and, and Maggie had just gotten sick with cancer, and, and, uh, and I began to say to Jordan, look, buddy, if this isn't going to work, man, stay there. Keep your health insurance. Deal with what, what, what you're dealing with at this point, and I'll never forget Jordan saying to me, God called us to move to Syracuse to be a part of this church plant before we knew Maggie had cancer, but God knew, and so nothing's changed. And we began to just dream and think about what God would do. When I walk into Missio Church today, and when I walk into Renovation Church every week with you, all I can think of is what God has done. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. I'll never forget the first time sitting in the Palace Theater, I saw a video of Nate, oh, I can't think of his last name, Nate Park. Thank you. (laughs) The awesome bass player who like goes nuts. (laughs) I'm sitting in the Palace Theater and I'm watching a video of the story of Nate Park and how God came and reached into his life and rescued him and rescued his wife and they both came to know Jesus. They couldn't get pregnant. They were praying and praying and God gave him a baby. And, and I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me as I sat in the palace theater watching the video of a man I barely knew. I had just played drums while he played bass. I, had, I, I think Jim Murphy may have, may have spoken the words that led him to Christ. I think that's probably true. But at the end of the day, I remember thinking to myself, if this is the only thing that came of, of everything we've tried to do here and planting this church, it was worth it. it. It was God using people, but at the end of the day, it was God who was expanding and extending and, and moving in his kingdom. Just, just the fleeting thought in my living room as we sat there and prayed, and I remember quite a bit of doubt. Like, what are we doing? Is this going to work? Like, I know my parents will come. I'm pretty sure my in-laws will come. And I know Jordan's got a couple of aunts that live in the area. So uh, the fleeting thought of what could God do was just the midst of a seed. But in the midst of that seed was the power of God and the ability to bring forth his kingdom in a way that I can't explain and I don't understand. And and I say that to say this. God has called us to plant a church in the northern suburbs. Here we are a couple of years later in this place given to us by God. I mean, that is the only explanation for why we're sitting here right now. And I want all of you with me to look to the future of what God will do in bringing about his kingdom in this neighborhood surrounded by 10,000 people. And I want you to stand and worship with me today because guess what? You can know God will do it. God will do what he says he's going to do. He is faithful, and he is the one who brings the growth. Whether I'm talking, or Mike's talking, or Dan's talking, or Tim's talking, or Matt and Paul, or it doesn't matter who's talking, who will be standing up here talking in a year from now, I have no idea. But here's what I know. God will do it. Amen? So I want to ask you a couple of questions. One of the things we recognize from this passage is that in seed time and harvest, both of those are the work of God.
and you can trust him. And so I want to ask you that question. Do you trust him this morning? I mean, we can speak on a couple of levels of the kingdom of God here. We can speak in terms of God bringing about his kingdom corporately. And then I, I want to take a moment with you this morning and get a little introspective. Take a look in your own heart. Take a look at you, in, into your own life. And ask yourself this question, do you trust him? Do you trust him this morning? That he who began a good work in you, he is going to complete it. Amen? Now, now we recognize that from this passage, it's about God. We are to be God-centered. It is about what he does. But I want you to recognize something in this. As I talked about how I would rather buy my tomatoes and my cucumbers at Wegmans than, than plant a garden... We're not passive, are we, in this scenario? There is activity. There is, there is stuff that we get up every day like the, the farmer in Mark chapter 4, and then we go to bed and we recognize that God brings the increase, but he's called us to be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom. Isn't that exciting? You get to be a part of it. You get to live your life for God, that God gets to spend your life like currency, building his kingdom in this place. What else are you doing? I mean, let's think about the kingdom of God as opposed to our own kingdom. As we recognize that the gospel of grace in our lives is the kingdom of God in the context of scripture, how Jesus has come, how justice was served on him for us in our place, and his mercy and his grace has saved us in a way that we could never earn it, we could never accomplish it, but we rely on him, and, and we're not self-saving people. That is, that's what brings someone to hell is the thought that they could save themselves, but we are wholly reliant on the grace of God as as God has given us a gift of faith and how his grace has saved us. He's allowed us to be a part of being like a conduit for him to bring about his kingdom in the lives of others as we walk around saved by grace, grateful and worshiping him with our lives. We should speak and sow the seeds of the word of God into the lives of everybody around us. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to, to worshipfully with our lives of, of gratefulness towards what he's done as he's brought about the kingdom in our hearts to sow seeds into the lives of others. And here's what you can know as you trust the God who brings the increase, what you can know when you lay your head on your pillow at night, as you pray for your family, as you pray for your friends, as you pray for your coworkers, as you pray that God would do more in your own heart and bring about his kingdom in your own heart, you can know he's faithful. Amen? Prayer fuels this. And I have to confess this morning, as I preach this, and as I think about the reality of the kingdom of God and that it has nothing to do with my ability, frankly, to communicate or to talk to a friend, to a coworker, to a family member. Think of moments in my life over the last month where I've sat with friends and people I care about so deeply, folks that work for me or work with me 
And I've had opportunities to share the gospel. I've had opportunities to tell them about Jesus, to tell them what God has done for me. And as those words have flown out of my mouth, and as I hope they've hit their ears and registered through their brain and somehow have to trust that the Spirit of God does something in their heart because the Word of God doesn't return void without doing its work, without accomplishing what it's set out to do. When I lay my head down at night and go to sleep, I have to recognize that I may not see the fruit, I may not put the sickle to that harvest, but what God does in the lives of somebody is something that God does, amen? And I can know and I can trust that as I sow, God will bring the increase. God will do what he said he's gonna do in those that he's chosen, amen? I need to recognize because it's about God that I should be about seeking God in prayer for that to happen. How many of you guys hear that this morning? This is fueled by prayer. And, and I don't do it enough. If the kingdom of God is, is something God does in the hearts of people, if it takes the spirit of God to draw a man's heart to himself, if God moves in the hearts of, of neighbors and friends and family members to draw them close to him, then, then rather than me spending more time coming up with clever ways to, to impress someone or to put on a show here in a service or to, or to do something that would maybe make them feel happy or comfortable as they walk into this place or as they talk to me over coffee, what I should be doing is seeking God and praying for him to move on their hearts. Amen? Tim Keller, in a candid moment in an interview about his uh, church in New York City, um, confess that if he could do it all over again, he would have spent more time in prayer. As we meet as elders and talk about where's God taking us, what, what does God want to do, what are some strategic things for Renovation Church as we move forward into the next couple of years, thank God for Tim Bissell, one of our elders, who often says to us, we should probably pray. <laughs> Let's pray and seek God. And recognize it's him. Amen? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So that no one should boast. It's about him. This mustard seed that grows, grows because God makes it grow. These stalks or vegetables or whatever it is the sower is sowing in Mark chapter 4, it grows because God causes it to grow. At the end of the day, this parable is about one thing. The kingdom of God is brought about by God. That God does it. As we are active in our sowing, as we are active in our speaking the word of God, it's not about us, it's not about people knowing our name, it's not about people saying, wow, that guy's a good preacher, or they're great worship leaders, or this is a cool church. It's really not about any of that. At the end of the day, this is to be a God-centered church, because we recognize in Scripture, through this parable, and through 
hundreds of other verses that at the end of the day, it is God who does what he said he's going to do. It is God who deserves the worship. It is God who deserves the praise. And if you are nervous or confused or anxious about where your life is going or where the life of your friends or your family are going, in terms of the kingdom of God, you can trust him this morning. Amen? You can trust him. God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. When you as the sower lay your head down on your pillow at night, you can know that something's happening under the dirt that you have nothing to do with. God's doing it. And when you wake up, it's going to be there. Romans 8 talks about our hope. I had an opportunity. I'll close with this. I had an opportunity I don't know if opportunity is the right word. Um, to preach at a young man's funeral this month, who I love. He's a great, great man. Um, and he died at 30 years old. And I couldn't escape Romans chapter 8. And what I recognized in that passage about the gospel of Jesus Christ and love that we could never be separated from is, is I recognized our hope. And I found in the midst of studying that and preparing to try to talk about this person's life and death and our not understanding it, what I found in that passage is similar to what this sower, this farmer understood when he went to sleep at night after sowing his seed is that the word hope in the bible isn't like the way we use it today like i hope that it gets warmer today or i hope it doesn't rain or i hope that i get a parking spot or you know i hope trisha cooks something when i get home like it's it's different. The biblical word for hope, as we see our hope in Romans chapter 8, and as we see it depicted in this story when the farmer goes to sleep at night, isn't some fleeting hope that I just hope that happens. But what it is in Scripture is it's a confident expectation that God will do. It's a certainty that God will do what he said he's going to do. Our hope in the kingdom of God coming and Jesus doing everything he's declared, our hope in God is not just a hope like we say hope, it's the biblical word for hope that is a certainty. Do you guys hear that this morning? It is a certainty. It is a confident expectation of what is to come. I know that my friend Ryan, not on the basis of anything he had done, when he died, stepped into the presence of God that is not just a fleeting hope. That is my confident expectation of certainty because it's not based on Ryan. It's based on what God did for him. Amen? D.A. Carson tells a story. I, I emailed to Dan and a couple other guys, and I'm probably not going to say it right because I haven't watched it in a while, but he talks about two Jewish men talking uh, in the time of the Passover. You know, Tom and George, he said, I think those were the names he used, very Jewish names. And they said, man, what's going to happen tonight? This is the conversation D.A. Carson expresses in this illustration. 
What's going to happen tonight? I, did you put the blood over the door? Yeah, I put the blood over the door, but I'm, I'm pretty nervous. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, you know. You know, this is my son, my firstborn. I love him, and, and this angel of death is coming, but he said to put the blood over the door, so I put the blood over the door, and I think, I think we're going to be okay. And the other guy expresses, yeah, I put the blood over the door, but I'm not worried at all. Because God said, if we put the blood over the door of this sacrificed lamb, that, that the angel will pass over, and my son will live, and he'll be saved. And D.A. Carson asked the question in the midst of this illustration. With these two men, which one's son is saved after the Passover? Both of them, of course. Because it's not based on the feeling of one man as opposed to the other, but it's based on the blood that's over the door. The salvation of those two Young firstborn boys is about the blood of the lamb that's posted over the door, not how confident one man is as opposed to the other. Jesus has finished it. He has accomplished it. And you can have a hope and a confident, confident expectation that the kingdom of God will be fulfilled in your life and in this area as we go forward as a church, not based on what we do or how we do it or how well we do it or how skilled we are, as God has called us to be sowers, but it's based on him and what he's done. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. For who you are, we thank you that you are a God who is to be worshipped. We thank you that you are able, that you're capable, that you are sovereign. That I don't have to live every day with a fearful concern that I may misstep, that I may stumble. God, as I am motivated by your grace to passionately run the race as hard as I can, not to misstep or not to stumble, but at the end of the day, regardless of what I do, I know you're in control, I know you're sovereign, and I know you are ordering our steps as a church and as your people. Somehow, you cause that little seed to turn into something magnificent. We don't understand it, but we trust you. You're a faithful God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship together this morning.